0: Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and
1: welcome to the Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me, John Westhaver. John Westhaver is a a motivational speaker in the safety space, does some excellent work around safety and the road. So, John, welcome to the podcast. I'd love for you to start out maybe by, by introducing yourself and then introduce your road safety story.
2: Yeah, so my name is uh, John Westaver and I am a failed car crash survivor slash burn survivor. Um, I was uh, burnt in a car crash uh, 27 years ago uh, this spring, and um, and right now I am a professional speaker traveling around Canada, uh, actually not traveling currently because of the COVID pandemic, you know, and the restrictions <laughs> and stuff. All right. But uh, I normally travel around Canada the U.S. talking about uh, road safety and the impacts of uh, poor driving uh, choices. I do a lot of work with schools and uh, organizations and companies uh, primarily just to uh, help people change the, their conversation around driving so that it become they become safer uh, drivers so that we have safer roadways for everybody uh and so i'll just kind of go into my story and where and why i do yes. this yeah so i was a typical teenage kid in school average average kid fun loving kid good grades in school you know i and i had a zest for life like most other kids and wasn't a problem child mm-hmm. But on uh, April 29th, 1994, it was about a month and a half before high school graduation when me and three of my friends, one uh, being my best friend, Jason, uh, two other friends, Jimmy and Aaron, we decided to go to the pool hall in our hometown. Now, we lived in the little little, tiny town called St. Stephen in New Brunswick, a little border town. At the time, there's probably like 7,500 people that live there. So really quiet. Right. I town. think I've been there. It's very, <laughs> yeah, it's quiet. a really yeah, it's a really quiet town. Not, you know, not really at the time. It's probably still there's not really a lot of stuff for youth to do. You know, other than you know playing hockey or baseball. If you didn't do your 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 sporting events like that, there there really, really wasn't a lot to do for for youth. And I was uh, one of those teenagers that loved to party love to drive fast, uh, never drank and drove, never got in with somebody that was drinking, but I, you know, I loved to party. I love to drink, um, you know, and uh, and I loved the thrill of speed like most other kids that I hung out with. And it was a month and a half uh, before high school graduation, full of life teenagers. We decided to go to on a road trip to a town uh, about 45 minutes away, a town called Macadam. Um, we heard there was a pool hall there. And being typical teenage guys, we loved pools because normally we could play pool there, there was good music there, and there was always girls there. (laughs) So we're like, hey, let's go (laughs) check this place out. Four teenage guys were full of life. Let's go check it out. Now, the thing was, no matter what we did, we always have to have a sober driver. Okay, so... That mm-hmm. night, Jimmy decided to drive. He's like, "I'll drive. it will be. It'll, it'll be my thing. I have to work tomorrow. I'll get up early, so I'll drive. I'll stay sober. It'll be good." So it was great because he had a 1980 Chevy Impala. Now, if you've ever been in a 1980 Chevy Impala, that's a boat. That's a big car. So we we're like, "This is good because lots of room." And uh, so the next thing was we uh, we had to find some alcohol. Now, being four teenage boys on a mission. You know, it wasn't normally too hard for us to find alcohol. Usually, we'd raid our parents' liquor cabinet or find someone older to buy it for us. So this particular Friday night, we decided to find someone older to buy it for us. So the booze in hand and sober driver, we set off on a road trip. We we crack our beer once we hit the highway. We get to the pool hall. We're having a good time. We're flirting out the girls, playing pool. We're having a great time until Jimmy, our sober driver, great guy, awesome guy, decided to leave. Now being four teenage guys, we're full of life. It's Friday night. We're at a pool hall. There's girls around, there's music, there's pool. There's lots of fun. We're like, no, let's stick around a little bit longer. Now, if you've ever been the designated driver in a vehicle and you've had some drunkards with you, I say drunkards, we've we had some drunkards with you. You can, you know how hard it can be to get some of these guys to come with you. So Jimmy's was like, Hey, I'm leaving. And we're like, we're trying to stick around a little bit longer. Cause we knew, from Macadam to St. Stephen, it was about a 45, 50-minute drive. God long how long of a walk it would have been. <laughs> so we're like, you know, stick around with mm-hmm. He's like, now. So we had a choice. Teenage boys. We could have stuck around and played some pool some more, had some more fun, drank some more beer, informed the girls some more, and walked home or trying to figure some ride home. Or we could go with Jimmy, who was our DD. Reluctantly. Right we decided to go with Jimmy because he was our DD. He was the guy that was supposed to get us home safe. Mm -hmm. So we stagger in the car. We grab another beer. We choose each other. Being four teenage guys, we peel out of the parking lot, crank the stereo. We're flying to the highway like any other Friday night in our hometown. Any other Friday night that we were teenage boys, we were always doing this stuff. Driving fast. Mm -hmm. We're always partying. Uh, Never drinking or driving, but just driving too fast. Mm-hmm. And about halfway back, we decided to get uh, pull over to parking lot. About halfway back, and now uh, we jump out, take a leak, we grab another beer, we cheers each other, and we peel out of the parking lot. And it was well, um, probably about eleven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And when we left that parking lot, the stereos cranked. Jimmy's flying down the highway. We're intoxicated because we've been drinking for a while. And we're thinking nothing can possibly go wrong because we get a DD. Right. We got everything under control. And we're thinking everything's perfect. Not a care in the world. Mm. That was the last thing that I remember. Wow. The last thing that I remember that carefree teenage life. The next moment. I recall opening my eyes. I'm looking up at a cylinder. I don't recognize. I looked mm. around the room and I see that I'm in a hospital room. And I, and I have no idea well. why I'm in there in this hospital room. I don't know which hospital I'm in. I don't know right. why there's, so I had all kinds of questions in my head and where are my friends at? What's going on? Mm. And I remember someone telling me not to t- talk because everything's going to be okay. And I was scared of because course. I wasn't a sick kid. I never really experienced hospitals a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I look around the room and I see that there's a ventilator on one side. And on the other side, there's a machine measuring my heart rate, my blood pressure, beep, beep, beep. And I'm connected to a multitude of life-saving devices. And I look down and I am completely, completely covered in bandages from my head to my feet. I'm wrapped like a mummy and I'm scared cuz I have no idea what's going on. Now at this moment, I was mm. heavily medicated. So I didn't feel a lot of pain. But sure. I was scared. And I at first they wouldn't tell me what happened. They wanted me to focus on the healing. Um and then they, as as I started to heal and as I, you know, got strength and mm. energy, you know, and found that strength to keep moving forward, you know, they would they would reveal things to me that, you know, that I that they felt I needed to hear. So mm. I later learned that the the police determined that we're doing what 140 kilometers on a road that's posted for 90. Oh, wow. On a, you know, a secondary highway, um, number three highway from St. Stephen to Fredericton secondary highway. People travel on the highway all the time, sharp corner, Anderson, Andersonville there. And we're just traveling way too fast. And the, our silver driver, Jimmy, mm. You know, being eighteen, actually yeah, seventeen years old at the time, mm-hmm. he was young, inexperienced driver. Sure, but he he thought he was a great driver, as we mm-hmm. all did. We all thought we were great, drivers, and we all loved to speed. And the inability at such a young age of his mm-hmm. driving. The speed of which we're traveling, the commotion inside the car, four teenage guys, three of us are intoxicated, the stereos cranked. You can just about imagine how much commotion is inside that car, how much distraction it is for the driver. And the road took a corner, took a sharp corner. And Jimmy lost control of the car, skidded oh, out of no. control, hit the ditch, r- rolled several times. Our driver was ejected and killed. The car had a telephone pole. Uh, exploded myself. I, I sustained burns to 75% of my body and a broken Goodness. arm. And my best friend, Jason and Aaron were trapped in the backseat. And that's where they perished. Goodness. That car had exploded this massive ball of fire. Sorry, I just hit the microphone here. <laughs> that, that, that car had blow, uh, exploded in a massive ball of fire. And the thing was... Mm. This was four teenage guys in a small town, and there really wasn't a lot of resources. You know, our small our small police force, our, our ambulance, sure. the paramedics, the, the the police. You know, the police were called. The ambulance were called. The fire were called. That crash. It didn't just impact us. Mm. It impacted our families, our friends, our school, those witnesses and bystanders, the ones that were on scene right away, the cars that came up afterwards, they tried to help out, you know, the police, the the firefighters, the paramedics, everybody that attended that scene that night was impacted by our actions, every choice that we made that night. To get to, to get into the car, to mm. to drive the choice to drive fast, the choice to not tell our driver to slow down, the choice to to be drinking that night. Every choice that we made mm. impacted all of those people. I was rushed to the hospital, uh in our to our local hospital in St. Stephen, New Brunswick. Sure. And being a small town, they really didn't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. So they prepared me to be transported to a burn unit about an hour away. And when I, when I was uh, at the local hospital in St. Stephen, when they were preparing me, they called my parents and here, my parents are home asleep and hmm. the phone rings. My father wakes up, answers the phone, really not knowing who it's going to be. Maybe it's one of the kids calling to get a ride home or something, or calling to say they're going to be staying somewhere else or whatever it is. When he answers the phone, police officer introduces himself and proceeds to explain to my father that I was involved in a major car crash and they needed to go to the hospital right away. And he wouldn't say anything else. He said, just get dressed and go to the hospital. Now, here my parents had all kinds of questions, like, what's going on? How, you know, how bad is the crash? Who was in the crash? You know, what, like, what's going on? They were not prepared. They were completely unprepared mm. for the nightmare that they were about to walk into. So my parents got dressed and they went to the hospital. When they got to the to the local hospital, they were greeted at the door by a police officer that my father knew. So he stopped them and said, "Before you come in to see John, I have to let you know he was involved in a major car crash and he's badly burnt." And wow. he looked at my mom and said. Before you go in to see your son, I have to let you know. He is badly burnt and horribly disfigured. I don't know if you can handle seeing your son in this state. And my father bravely went into my room, you know, and he walks down the hallway to the room that I'm in. And he gets to the room, gets to the Uh door, and he, he looks in and he sees this person laying in the hospital bed. Nurses and doctors are working on this person, the person's completely naked, but this their skin is charred black from the fire and the smoke, and their body is swollen and blistered. Right. My head was the size of a basketball. My father, dad, didn't even recognize me. And when he realized that it was his son John and didn't recognize me, instantly his you know, he's thinking, Well, is he gonna survive? Mm. Is he gonna be okay? And if he survives, What kind of life is John gonna live? Like, what quality of life will he live if he survives? Right. My father fought back the tears and the emotions. He walked in the room. He said, "And he said, I sat up right away and I started to apologize. So here I am. I'm completely burnt. The nurses and doctors are working all over, working on me. And I sat up and I was like, Dad, I'm sorry. Don't be mad at me. Don't be angry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be in the crash. I'm sorry." Mm. My dad looks at me and he's like, it's okay. Just, 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 it's okay. Just listen to the doctors. Everything's going to be okay. He had no idea what was about to unfold. He just wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay. Right. He said the nurses and doctors uh, worked with me for about an hour or so to prepare me to be transported to the burn unit in St. John, New Brunswick. Uh And when I got to the burn unit in St. John New Brunswick, man, that's when they really assessed the extent of my burns. Mm -hmm. Now, when you sustain burns to a large percent of your body, they actually, um, they give you a survival rating. They say, this is based on what we know about the burn trauma in the body. Right. This is this is your likelihood that you're going to survive. They look at a few different things. They look at how much of the how much of the body is burnt. They call that the total mm-hmm. surface body area. They look at the degree of burns. They call it the degree of burns. So how deep are the burns? So this mm-hmm. first to fourth degree burns. Fourth degree is the most severe. It goes the deepest. It burns all of your skin, some muscles, and some tendons and some bones sometimes. And I had first to fourth degree burns covering 75% of my body. And they look at, are you a smoker? Do you drink? How's your general health? How Mm -hmm. old you are? A few other factors. And they say, based on what we know, based on, you know, what we know, how the body responds, Mm -hmm. this is your likelihood that you're going to survive. And they sat my family down and they said, based on our experience and what we know about the body and, and John's situation, he's not going to make it. You need to start thinking about funeral arrangements. You need to start calling family and friends and to come see him because he may not make it through the night. And if he does, he may not make it through the first week. And here my family just heard that I survived this horrific crash. And now they're told that I'm going to die. Wow! Man, they're destroyed. They're scared. They're shaken up. Their their whole world is turned upside down. A nightmare, a living nightmare. What they did is they actually sedated me. They put Mm -hmm. me in a drug-induced coma so that they could so that so that I wouldn't experience the pain of the burns. Okay. And they could work on me. So they sedated me, they put me in a drug-induced coma for about a month. And that's where I I they were able to work on me. But when they sedated me, um my body in the initial Mm -hmm. stages, it kept shutting down. My lungs, oh, no. my liver, my kidneys would fail. I died three times on the operating table. There was no guarantee that I would go. To, I was going to wake up every time I went for a surgery. My parents were—they they were destroyed. They had no idea that I would make it through. Wow. Oh. And what I want your listeners to get is. Every choice that I made that night to get into the car, to to mm. not tell our driver to slow down, to, to decide to drink, to know where my seatbelt that night, every choice that I made that night, put my family, my friends, my community, my school, put them through hell. Like I did that as a, at the human level. When I take responsibility for that, like my choices did that. Sure. I, it was Jimmy driving you know but it was my choices that contributed to the situation as well that put my family through hell and the aftermath of everything that i had to deal with you know dealing with the the burn scars the the surgeries the dressing changes um dealing with the stares people staring at me because i'm a burn survivor. ever you can tell that i look different my i have facial burns or scars i have scars on my hands my body like covering my body um Dealing with the loss of my friends, dealing with my best friend that dies, the people that you think are going to be there forever. And, yeah. and at an early age, you never think that you're going to lose people. You know, and I and I did lose, friend, you know, family members to death, you know, because yeah. of whatever reason. But you never think you're going to lose your friends. And how this impacted our school. We're a month and a half before high school graduation. And it destroyed the student body. Like it impacted our student body for the rest of the year. The graduation was never the same. It wasn't right. like any other year. Yeah, and to this day, we still don't do an annual reunion. Really? Yeah, it's like nobody wants to talk about the graduation.
0: Hmm.
2: Nobody wants to get together and you know there. And if they do, it's you know it's it's a very low key. It's not this big celebration like some people do. Like um, yeah, so just and you know it really did impact me quite a bit, you know t- you know the, the relationship, you know dating, getting into dating and getting married and you know working my career, being able to use my hands, finding a career that I could actually do. Um, it really impacts, you know um, the survivors. You know yeah. we often see when a fatal crash happens that you know it's the it's the it's the people that died but it's also the ones that survive though they're, they're the ones that really are impacted mm-hmm. you know they're the the ones that survive and the the psychological damage that happens the the dealing with the 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 suffering that accompanies that
1: and i think your, your story is incredibly uh powerful and, and 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 really gets you in terms of it, especially the way you tell the story in terms of how, how it happens. But what does it mean for someone to truly say safe on the road? Because I think what you're sharing is, is common. A lot of people don't think about the hazards when they jump in a car. They don't think about what could happen. Um, what does it really mean to be safe on the road? You, you say about your choices, your responsibilities. What are the things I can do to really own how I show up on the road.
0: This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com.
2: Yeah, so you know, that's a great question because i was thought about that this morning when I was preparing for this and uh, you know, truly, you know, being a, a, a truly a safe driver is, you know, following the rules of the road. It's really that simple. Mm-hmm. You know, putting other uh, not putting others at risk. Um, and that includes like people in your own vehicle. You know, right. really be looking at like what what behavior um, driving behaviors, are you um, not following? Like, uh-huh. you know, are you wearing your seatbelt? You know, are you, you know, uh, making sure your head's clear? Um, are you making sure that you're driving the speed limit? Um, and, you know, not using your phone, things like that there. And um, I want to share something with you. Sure. Uh, or with your audience. One of the biggest things is making sure your head's clear. And that's mm. not just alcohol. It's also drugs, um, it, uh, distractions like smartphones, and mm-hmm. also your emotions. Because yep. we also talk about, you know, the smartphones and putting the smartphones away. But it's also your emotions too. You know, have you ever thought about how your emotions actually impact your driving?
1: Yep. hundred yeah. percent.
2: In today's society, we are, we are so busy. And Mm -hmm. so behind the gun sometimes that we're not even thinking about the road, right? You know, sometimes uh, you're, you're late, you're rushing through traffic uh, with your only focus on, on not being late. Maybe you're angry because this is the third (laughs) time this week that you can't afford to be fired. So you have all these thoughts and stresses because you're legitimately afraid of losing your job. And you may be angry with yourself because you, um, you're always doing this. You're always late. Hmm. And maybe you're angry with your, your your partner because they just caused this big fight uh, about something, and it went way too long, and now you're late. Right. Your focus is not on driving. As you're rushing through traffic or rushing around the corner, you rush around the corner, you hit the gas as you, you're trying to speed up the, high road, uh, the, the road, and someone steps out in the street because you weren't there a moment ago. And you hit the brakes hard, but it's Mm -hmm. not enough as your car slams into that person. They bounce off your hood and slam into the pavement. Now, I'm not going to finish the scenario, Hmm. as I want you to understand that the impacts on the world around you, when you're not paying attention to your driving and following the rules of the road and focusing on the road, unfortunately, this happens way too often. Please slow down. You could save someone's life.
1: I think it's incredibly important point. And I, I know when when it comes to me, when it comes to getting into the car, the first thing I reflect on is really the state I'm in and really what's what really matters uh, in terms of what are the what are the the experiences I want to have, the people that i, I love to to really center in terms of the focus, because, like you said, it's easy. We're late for a meeting, uh, or somebody cuts you off in front, and really checking even the state and how I respond. Um, even if you're very focused, it's very easy to to get sidetracked, to to, to take a, a a path that maybe you can't return from.
2: Yeah. And and I'm human too. I live in this world too. I live in a busy city just as well, you know, and I, and I get caught up in this too, you know, time after time. And I have to, I have a phrase I say that really has me come to be in check. And it's a powerful phrase for me Mm -hmm. because it means a lot to me. It may not mean, it may be nothing to you, but find something for yourself. And my phrase that I say, when I am in that moment, I say, be the brand be the brand and the brand is road safety because i work with uh i do a lot of work with the insurance corporation of British columbia so Mm -hmm. i say be the brand and what that means is hey if i'm going to talk about road safety i gotta be road safety yep and so that simple be the brand phrase that i say it has me slow down, like, get, like, connected to what I'm doing, yep. you know, I can't really talk about road safety if I'm being a, you know, hypocrite, you know, out in the street.
1: <laughs> and then somebody takes a picture of you. Steve. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> right. W- weren't you just talking to my kids last week about road safety, or weren't you in the office the other day talking about road safety? Yep.
1: <laughs> and, and I think a theme that's, so you should talk about being the brand, I think the other element is, a lot of our listeners are leaders uh, for, for, that want to drive improvements in safety, uh, are safety leaders. And, and the, the other element is, how do you impart this into others? How do you make sure that your team stays safe? Um, how do you reinforce the right themes? How are you aware of maybe some of the blind spots you might have that may inadvertently be putting pressure on somebody to just get there on time?
2: Yeah. So as a leader, you can check in with your drivers, see where they are, you know, how they're managing their workload so they can drive safely, you know, setting up protocols so that when your employees are driving, they are folks on the road and getting to their destination safely, you know, create some safe driving uh, culture in your company to ensure, you know, everyone goes home safe. Also create a re- uh, realistic uh, timeframe for getting work done. It's mm-hmm. it's okay to push the envelope, you know, for fish. Efficiency to get things done and to grow and, and, and to increase your efficiency with your job but do it in a safe manner right also agree with employees that um they don't use their phone when they're driving doing all the calling and texting and emailing before yeah. they drive or after they drive you know when you're when you're on a call and you're, and you're driving you're mm-hmm. not hundred percent on that call. You're not focused right. on that call, and you're not focused on driving either. You're kind of like split between the two of them. Yep. So your work suffers because your lack of focus. That, and you're running the risk of being involved in a vehicle crash, as you're not focusing on the road. Mm-hmm. So your customers, your 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 coworkers, you know, the work that you're doing, really, you know, you know, it deserves that hundred percent focus. On the call so mm-hmm. if you've got work to do you know get it done before and create that you know that that environment with your company that you know what hey take take 10 or you know 15 20 minutes before you drive to do what you need to do so that you can focus in driving and the the side benefit of that you know when you're folks in the road and driving and you got a bit of a drive and you know that oh I can be doing this it gives your brain a break. It gives your brain a break. And what happens there is a lot of times if you have to have to do problem solving or running a scenario through your head, you can often do that in in the back of your head while you're driving a lot of times and it comes easier. Right. So just that 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 unplugging for a moment. You, sometimes you know, like when you're when you're looking at, you're trying to find a solution for something. You're thinking so hard at it, and you just can't find that solution. And then you take a break, and mm-hmm. and, and then it pops in your head. Oh, I should have <laughs> done that, or I should do this, or try, try. so driving and not and just focusing the road allows your brain to take a break and really have that background process on your sure. work, and it kind of helps reduce your stress as well.
1: Mm. I think, I think very important points, and I think it's it's something that um, a lot of organizations, industries really need to think through in terms of how do I drive that culture, that environment where people make the sick choice. Um, as a leader, am I role modeling this? Uh, if wow. I'm expecting people not to, to take calls while on the highway, am I doing the same myself? Uh, or uh, am I sending the wrong message in terms of how I show up as a leader?
2: Yeah. And, and you can, all, they can also hire someone like myself, you know, or, mm-hmm. or yep. you know, to come in and talk about road safety and the impacts of a fatal vehicle crash, because oftentimes we're not connected to the impacts and we drop our guard and we yeah. don't follow the rules of the road and we're just not connected. And that's just because it's not our everyday life. We don't mm-hmm. live the impacts of every, every day. And, it, and it's just natural mm-hmm. to forget sometimes. And so if you have somebody come in periodically to talk about the impacts of road safety, and as mm-hmm. soon as I stand in front of a group, there's a real, like people see the real impact. And then I start talking and that's like, it's just solidifies like, wow, this guy's been through something horrific. And so it really right. allows people to engage. And when I, when I present, I, le- I like to create not a presentation, but a conversation. So when I when I mm-hmm. when I deliver these talks, I like to really communicate with the people that I'm talking to, and really engage with them, and inspire thought, and inspire. Okay, so what right. would this be like if this happened to you? How would your kids be mm-hmm. impacted if you were injured um, at the job? Or how would your family be impacted if you lost your your livelihood because of uh, a vehicle incident? And so I want people just to think about the impacts of their choices to to really focus on being safer drivers. Now, in a perfect world, if everybody followed the rules, it would be super easy. (laughs) It'd be super easy to follow. And if we pointed out, hey, that's the bad apple, he needs to be punished, you know. (laughs) It'd be super easy to follow the rules, but we don't live in that perfect world. So we have to be the, we have to be the brand. We have to put ourselves at issue and, you know, take that stand, you know, be that stand, be the willingness to stand for something different. Stand for something, stand for the rules to be followed so that everybody goes home safe.
1: I think it's important, and what you do in terms of speaking to to groups, to to organizations, is very important because a lot of people don't think that this is necessarily dangerous, right? They, we all drive almost every day, maybe a little bit less during during the pandemic, but most of us spent time, lots of time, in the car driving, and so we figure we've we've done this for decades, uh, we're okay. And and if you think about certain high risk professions. It's not uncommon that you have very high risk professions and there's more injuries that happen driving than there is doing the high risk job because your attention's on the job when you're doing a high risk job. And then when you're driving, you assume, I've got this covered,
2: yeah, yeah. and in exactly I, I, I totally agree. I did a I'd work, talk to a coalition in uh, mm-hmm. Texas uh, last fall, you know, just about the transport driving and things like that there. and and just a little about like how. As drivers, we get so wrapped up in getting, getting to point A or point B that we kind of forget about the safety aspect, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, we just, we, we need to really focus on like, you know, even though our job is, you know, when we get there, you know, Mm -hmm. we still behind the wheel, that's our job too. Being said, right. and the financial cost, you know, of 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 a crash, you know, the the cost of the company as at a brand level, like you know, somebody drives by a a, a crash where there is, you know, a fatal uh, vehicle, you know, sorry, a fatal crash where there's somebody that had died, and there's this company's logo, like I don't want to say, <laughs> it's like somebody's branding like, across the side of the the mm-hmm. the, the vehicle. There's a social impact, a, brand, the, a sure. branding impact on that company.
1: And I think it's, a, it's an important point. Uh, and I think the other element is really how do you start shifting some of the industries that that spend a lot of time on the roads, a lot of windshield time to, to take take it seriously when it comes to road safety, because it, it that needs to transpose into behaviors, into how leaders show up in terms of expectations, in terms of what features you put in your cars, your trucks, whatever vehicle you're driving on the roads, to make sure that you're as safe as you can be.
2: Yeah, and we really need to look at the real cost in society when a fatal vehicle crash happens. Like I touched on a couple of times. You know, there's the financial cost, there's the physical cost. When I say physical, I mean like, you know, the if somebody is injured or hurt in the, in a crash, so there's a physical cost, their ability like me, I lost my um use of my the end of my fingers, are limited use of my, my arms, you know, uh there's a physical cost mm-hmm. when a crash happens. You know sure. f- um and then there's also you know the financial cost, you mm-hmm. know, to the to the to the company. Um and just the, and also there's the emotional cost. Like how does this impact the people involved, and the people that witness, you know, and say, right. for example, uh, we're getting back into going back to the office soon. So most mm-hmm. people are have gone back to the office, and some people are, are getting going, getting back into going back to the office. Right. And there may be some anxiety about going back to the office. <laughs> and that plays a part in how you drive. So on that trip to a trip to work, you're like, you know, I got, you know, what's this going to be like about, am I going to be safe? And, you know, I'm going to be okay. You know, this, this whole pandemic is really shaking everybody. And Mm -hmm. so it just adds a different element. So we can work with our drivers to look at what are some of the impacts? What are some of the possible challenges that they're going to face when they drive? And if we can, um, combat those and put into place, you know, strategic, you know, uh, strategies to help Mm -hmm. with these situations, then we can make our drivers safer and we can make sure that our drivers go home.
1: Yeah. I, I think you also bring a very important point for really in terms of, as people start coming back to the workplace, there's also an element of, of people haven't had the practice uh, people that were traditionally wow. maybe spending three or four hours commuting in big, big cities back and forth between home and work have worked from home and um, maybe went to the grocery store here and there. But that's a significant <laughs> decrease in terms of windshield time and in terms of practice on the road.
2: I take my daughter to uh, to preschool and I, I'm kind of, <laughs> la- kind of lazy sometimes. And I drive two blocks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's a different commute than it is to the totally office. <laughs> yeah, very, very different,
1: right? And so your, your exposure and and a lot of cities have had a lot less traffic. So a lot of the elements of people cutting you off, the stress, I'm going to be late. Those bottlenecks have, even if you were commuting, look, we're going to look different uh, in, in short order. So, so John, really appreciate you sharing your story. I think it's a it's an incredibly moving story very impactful hopefully it helps people resonate on the importance of driver safety um, both personally in terms of the choices they make how they show up but also as leaders in terms of how are they driving the right culture the right environment where people are making the right state choices that that there isn't enough there isn't too much production pressure where people feel rushed to arrive a certain place Um, you obviously share your story, help motivate people to really reflect on how they stay safe. How can someone get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, they get in touch with you. Visit my website, johnwestaver.com. So that's J-O-H-N-W-E-S-T-H-A-V-E-R.com. They can also email me john at johnwestaver.com. They can find me on LinkedIn, uh, uh, Twitter, Facebook, um, uh, Instagram, uh, all that stuff. And, uh, also YouTube, but most, you know, the best way to do is do visit my website or to email me. Yep. Uh, and that's the best way to, to reach out to me. Uh, we are booking or booking, uh, you know, in-person presentations, but also a lot of uh, virtual presentations because of this pandemic, I've actually been able to create a studio in my house where I can deliver remotely. So I can come into your company and can be, uh, deliver a talk to your company at various different locations virtually from my own place. So when there's no travel cost, which is great because it reduces the cost of having someone like myself come into the workplace and deliver a talk. And I get, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm really engaging. And we can also create custom packages for uh, companies to bring safety messages on a weekly level to their drivers. So we can create all kinds of different things uh, that really drive home that road safety message and being enrolling about it. My whole philosophy around all the stuff that I do is try not to preach to people because Mm -hmm. when we preach to people, The message gets lost because I'm telling you now what to do, versus if I can share with you and enroll you in something possible when you become a safer driver, that's going to drive change more and faster than if I preach to you and tell you that you're bad and wrong for you what you're doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, John, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing a story and, and really giving some thoughts around. How can I choose to be a safer driver and how can I influence my teams to be safer on the roads? Thank you.
0: Like what we do share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the safety guru on C-suite radio, leave a legacy, distinguish yourself from the pack, grow your success, capture the hearts and minds of your teams, fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the ops guru, Eric McCroskey.